We'll get started in Mark chapter 10 this morning, and we'll continue through the book of Mark. Um, just so everyone's aware and knows, at the Grove, we preach, and I say this all the time, but this morning it's particularly important that everyone hears that we preach through books of the Bible as our primary um, uh, preaching uh, content. So we'll go through books of the Bible. There will be times where we do topical series, but primarily we'll go through books of the Bible. And there's a few different reasons why we do that. Um, and, and one of them, just to share one of them, is that it, 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 allows, it does not allow me or the church to avoid tough topics. It doesn't allow me to say, hey, I really want to just speak on the things that I want to speak on. I don't want to speak on everything the Word of God counsels on. Um, so it forces us to talk about things that are uncomfortable, things that might not be uh, culturally accepted, uh, and things that might, might make room in our church. This morning is one of those mornings. Uh, this morning, if you came to church this morning, you're like super chipper and like, man, this is going to be a good morning and good uplifting sermon. Um, just apologize. The Bible's not going to allow us to do that this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about uh, a serious topic, a topic our culture has taken and, and ran away with, uh, and uh, contrary to God's word, uh, and a topic that I believe that the church has done the same running in the opposite direction. Uh, so Mark chapter 10, we'll read it together, and then we'll talk about it uh, and go through it. So Mark 10, starting in verse 1, says... Uh, it's, on the, it's on, up on the screen as well. If you, if you don't, didn't bring a Bible or don't have one, you can read along with us to make sure we're not making anything up. This is really what the Word of God says. And it says in verse 1, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, he, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So we see, we see this chapter, uh, these, these verses, these 12 verses. Um, and, and what happens is the Pharisees, like they're accustomed to doing, comes to Jesus to try and test him. They ask him a question. Um, and about marriage and divorce. And his answer is so countercultural to their time that the disciples were shocked. In fact, the disciples say um, in another, another passage of scripture, which we'll read in a moment, uh, their response is, is um, it's better not to marry them. If this is the commandment of marriage and, and, and marry, to marry and to remarry, then it's just better to never marry. Um, so it seems as though Jesus is saying a couple things here. One, he's saying that divorce is not God's will. He's saying God created man and woman, male and female, to join together, they become one flesh, and let no man separate what God has brought together. And they said, but Moses, command, Moses allowed us 
to divorce. And so you're saying something different. He says, Moses only allowed it, allowed you to divorce out of the hardness of your heart. And so what does that mean? What, what, is, what does that mean? I think one of the things we talk about is the will of God. And so we'll talk briefly about that and then we'll, we'll get into uh, culturally what divorce is and, and what we believe at the Grove and what the church has historically believed as well. Um, but Jesus is saying it wasn't God's will for divorce, even though it was allowed and permissible, it wasn't God's will. And, and, and to understand this, we have to understand that God allows things to happen because of our sin and our hardness of heart that's not his will for our lives. So God's will was for Adam and Eve to never eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, to live with him forever. That's what he wanted. That was his his will, his desire, what he wanted for man. But because man chose not to do that, chose to eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, everything began to change. The, the it fractured man's relationship with each other, it fractured man's relationship with God. And so God's will, though there's this perfect will of God, what he wants for our lives, there are things that he allows because he has a hierarchy of desires, we all have that, right? Like, so I want, if I want a new car, like I would love to have a new truck. Mine has this huge dent in it. I put it in there. I can't complain, but it has this huge dent in it. It gets horrible gas mileage. Sometimes it doesn't start. Like I would love a new truck, but more than that, I want to provide for my family. So I can't just go out and buy a new truck. I can't just go out and take a loan and buy a new truck because more than I want a new truck, I want to provide what my family needs more than what I want. So there's this hierarchy of desires, okay? And so God desiring that death should not exist and we shouldn't have to kill anything. That's his desire. And that's why he created the world. There was no death. But because Adam and Eve sinned, he needed to cover Adam and Eve's shame. And so he killed animals to make skins to cover their shame. But so there's this hierarchy of desires we see from the very beginning where God did not desire death, but because he had this other desire that man shall not walk in shame, man shall not walk in sin, he allowed death to happen, even did it himself to cover Adam and Eve. So there's this hierarchy of desire. So God, the Bible says that God hates divorce, but he allowed it because of man's sin and hardness of heart. And we'll talk about why he allowed it, even though it's something that he hates soon. It seems as though this passage does not, going forward, Jesus is saying, there shall be no reason for divorce and remarriage anymore. Although Moses allowed it and Moses commanded it, no more. If if a man divorces and remarries, he commits adultery. If a woman divorces and remarries, she commits adultery. But we have to let the Bible interpret the Bible. So when there's a a seeming contradiction in the Bible, we have to look at it because because my belief and the Grove's belief is that there are no contradictions in the Bible. So when there's 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 something that seems like a contradiction, we have to look deep and wrestle with the text and figure out what it means. And so in Mark, Jesus is saying this, this, what seems like this statement, Whatever, uh, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. But we read in Matthew 19 in verse nine, it says, and I say to you, Jesus talking about the same very topic. 
And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual morality, and marries another, commits adultery. So in Matthew 19, Jesus is giving this, this clause, this exception clause, as people talk about it, this excuse clause, um, where there is a reason why, why divorce and remarriage is still permissible. And, and because of... Um, Adult, because of adultery or sexual immorality is, is, is um, specifically the word that Jesus uses, sexual morality. It's the Greek word pornea, um, which is this like drunk, dr- this junk drawer term for like everything that's immoral sexually, everything. There's not, he didn't want anyone to be like, well, he, you know, he didn't say this, this was bad. It's like this, this junk drawer, everything fits into this word. Uh, every, every sexual immoral, immoral thing fits in this word. There's another reason. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about, um, Paul talks about specifically a reason why divorce and remarriage is permissible. And I'm going to read that to you now. In verse 10, it says, the married, to, to the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Um, that, he, that a husband and wife should not separate, or wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, uh, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. In verse 15, it says, But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For, for how do you know, wife, whether you're, you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So Paul is saying it's permissible that divorce is still permissible when there's abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. So let's be clear. Jesus, if we read the Bible in its totality, Jesus, the Lord, the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying that divorce in remarriage is permissible under, um, if, if, a, if a spouse is, uh, due to a spouse's sexual morality, and also due to an unbelieving spouse abandoning the relationship, abandoning their spouse. So those are the two reasons here at The Grove why we believe divorce and remarriage is permissible under, under the guidance of Scripture. But if we read the Bible in its totality, we also know that, that God does hate divorce and that reconciliation is preferred first, but where reconciliation is, is, is not available, where repentance is not available, then divorce is permissible. And and. and, and we live in a culture where divorce is rampant and it's okay and, you know, unreconcilable differences is a, is, is a pretty popular reason to end a marriage. And Jesus is saying, like, marriage is much more serious than just leaving under differences you can't seem to reconcile because the gospel reconciles all things. Like, you haven't tried Jesus yet. But marriage is so important that, that, that there are only two reasons why divorce and remarriage is, is permitted. And those reasons are so important for us to understand why and for us to be loving and open-handed with those reasons. The church for too long, specifically the evangelical church in America, has been so against divorce because the culture is so for it that we have kept 
women in dangerous and unloving relationships because we say that, that divorce is wrong. And if the Bible says it's okay under certain circumstances, the church should not say it isn't. And we have to understand that God permits divorce under certain circumstances, and those circumstances should be, should be brought up to the elders and the leaders of the church, and the, the family should walk through this with the leaders and the authority that God has given the leaders of the church, but they should be walked through together with love, seeking reconciliation first, but where that's not available, where repentance is not there, divorce is an option. And it's an option because God loves his children, and he wants to protect them I want to read some lies that I feel like have, whether inadvertently or else, has come up in the church because I've heard it said from people that I love and respect so much that divorce is never an option. My only problem with that, besides the Bible, is that that becomes a really unloving institution for certain people. And we can't say that something is never an option when Jesus and Paul say it is. So I want to go through some lies about divorce and remarriage that I believe the church has believed and, and even furthered. And the first one is that forgiveness means that the, the offended party is bound to continue living in the guilty party with the guilty party once there's an apology. The first lie is that forgiveness means that the offended party is bound to continue living with the guilty party once there's an apology. Wives in particular, and, I, and I, I want to be clear that I think adultery, sexual morality, and abandonment goes both ways, but we see this in our church, particularly um, leaders in churches telling wives they have to stay with their husband because the husband's apologized, but then he continues to do what he's doing. He apologizes again when he gets caught and continues to do what he's doing and apologizes again and continues. But you have to stay because he's sorry. He's apologized. He's repented. We're working with him. We're, we're working with him. And, and, and while I understand that reconciliation is absolutely preferred, where there's a pattern in history of sexual morality or abandonment, we shouldn't stop someone from seeking a biblical option. They're not, just because there's an apology, just because there's a, a, repentment or a repentance every time that they get caught does not mean, mean that they need to stay with them and keep living with them, specifically if the situation's dangerous. Because here's the thing, we, we didn't talk about abuse, physical or emotional or... Um, uh, abuse being a reason for divorce. But here's, here's the thing. My view would be if, if they're in a place where there's continued physical and emotional abuse and there's not repentance, that's abandonment by an unbeliever. They've abandoned the relationship. They're no longer trying. They're unrepentant, showing, the, showing us, the church, the body of believers, that they're, they, they're not a Christian. And that is abandonment by an unbeliever. So abuse fits into this part. And, and we, as a church... Not the Grove specifically, but universally as the church, have unfortunately told wives to stay in dangerous relationships because the Bible's against divorce. And that's just not what it says. God loves his children too much to keep them in dangerous relationships. The second lie is implied. It's that God hates divorce more than he hates abuse and sexual sin. To put it a different way, God loves marriage more than he loves the people in it. And that's not true. 
The reason why divorce is an option is to protect God's children and to, and to protect the people who are in the relationship from continued abuse and continued um, sexual morality, breaking the covenant that they made before God. Jesus did not die on the cross to save marriage. He died to save people. He sacrificed his life to protect his sons and his daughters in those relationships, not the relationship in particular. This fact, this lie is especially true uh, for women who suffered the hands of men who uh, actions mock servant leadership and blaspheme the name of Christ, whom they're called to represent as the man of their house. Denying a woman legitimate divorce allows an unrepentant man to continue in the abuse and blasphemy. And if we want to value and treat marriage as highly as we ought, we need to think about Jesus and his care and his, for his church is not an abstract idea because we see it commanded to be lived out in the everyday life in purity, tender care for widows, but also in tolerance of the Pharisees who thought they could get, be right with God while checking out women at the market and their sexual morality and their abuse. Christ's love for his church is found very, is a very concrete expression on the cross. His willingness to die for his beloved people. And I want to say it again because I want you guys not to hear me saying God loves divorce because God hates divorce. But there are some things that he hates more. There's a hierarchy of hate. And because there's things that he hates more, he permisses divorce. It's not his will for anyone to get married and then leave each other. That's not his will at all. But because he loves the people and the safety of his children, he will allow them to leave because of his love. The third lie that no one would ever say out loud, but we see it in our gossip, which is a sin. We see it in the way we talk about divorce, talk about people who get divorced, and it's we, we like to tread around the subject because we know we're thinking this. The third lie is that divorce is an unclean thing and often the fault of the innocent party. We say things like, she left him. Like, he cheated on her and then she left him. Like, blaming the, the innocent party for leaving. But here's the reality. It's this huge misunderstanding of what divorce is. Divorce is not the innocent party. And biblical divorce is not the innocent party ending a marriage but it's the innocent party obtaining legal recognition that the guilty party destroyed the marriage. It's not them leaving the marriage or leaving the covenant. It's them obtaining legal recognition that the guilty party has destroyed the marriage and left the covenant already. Where there has been sexual unfaithfulness, abuse, or abandonment, it's the guilty party who ended it by breaking the covenant. Again, legitimate divorce, biblical divorce is not mandatory, but it is an option, and it's morally on par with reconciliation, because God allows both. There's a, there's a report done by the Presbyterian Church of America, the PCA. Uh, they, did a, uh, they created a committee and did a, uh, on divorce, remarriage, and they comment 
on, the, uh, on page 218, it's a long, long report. Uh, it is also interesting to recall in this connection, Jeremiah 3.8, where, where God is said to divorce Israel for her spiritual adultery. And it says, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Adulter, adulteries. If God himself can properly divorce his bride because of adultery, then given Christ's unqualified adherence to the authority of the Old Testament, it seems difficult to conclude that Jesus would not have had similar words on his own lips. The church has to be clear about this. We're not, we're not about being opposite of the culture. We're about being the truth. And the truth is that biblical divorce is an option. It's a holy option. And it's biblical, especially if God himself is willing to initiate with his people, his chosen people, Israel. It's initiated just to publicly recognize the destruction that's already there. Just like baptism is, is this public declaration of you following Christ, an innocent party seeking divorce is not demanding the marriage. It's a public declaration that they're, the other party has already ended it. And we have to see it that way when it's legitimate and biblical. The fourth lie, and this is where it's going to get a little less chipper, as if it was already, is usually around the topic and the discussion of pornography. Pornography is often classified as not technically adultery, and so oftentimes in our churches, spouses are declined to seek divorce because their husband is a chronic pornography user. And to me, this is just mind-boggling, how we could say this and do this as a church. Someone who seeks out sexually explicit material and has a physical response to it, is in the same mental, physical, and spiritual condition as someone who sleeps with their coworker, 100%. In fact, the, the difference really is that the relationship with the coworker is wrong, but it's at least private and limited, while porn use accepts and subsidizes an entire industry built on sex, slavery, involves hundreds of people, and it's not private at all, it's tracked by the companies in the internet servers. Deliberate and repeated pornography use is at least adultery, if not more. And to deny someone the right of divorce because it's just pornography, it's not like they're committing adultery, is wrong. Our pre-technology defin definition of adultery has to change. Absolutely has to change. And we need to understand, because we, we, we've taken this idea of pornography, it's like, oh, it's just pornography. It's, like, it's not like I'm sleeping with someone or I'm doing something I shouldn't do. Like, it's just pornography. Everyone struggles with it. Every guy struggles with it. We've, we've really taken pornography and made it way less than it is. We say things like, oh, I'm addicted to it. Like, I, I just can't. Like, I try and I repent and it keeps coming up and it keeps coming up. We make it something so little in our lives. Everyone struggles with it. And it's just not true. Like, like, I want to say today that no one in this room is now or ever has been completely and utterly addicted to pornography. I don't think there's anyone on the planet, but I will say 99% of the people 
because I don't, I don't, there might be someone who has like chemical imbalances. I don't know. But 99% of the people have never, ever been completely and utterly addicted to pornography. And here's why, because he, here's the thing. If you're, in the, if you're in the room and you're about to click on that website, you know you shouldn't click on. And someone comes in that room with a bag that has a million dollars in it and says, if you click on that website, I will walk away with this money. But if you don't and you stop, I will give you all the money in this bag tax-free. You can have a million dollars. That person, you, will find all the self-control in the world. You might say out of the moment, like, oh, I just, there's just this desire that comes over me. I just can't control it. And I, I find myself doing things I don't want to do. No, you will find all the self-control you want in the world if that happens. If, 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 if someone in a black hood comes in, an ISIS member, and have someone that you love dragging behind them with a knife to their throat, and they say, if you click on that website, I will kill this person. If you stop, I'll let them go free. You will find all the self-control you need to stop looking at pornography. It's not about self-control. It's about believing in a promise that doesn't fulfill. You're believing in that. It's not about self-control, and I can't. It's about, I believe this will give me more satisfaction and joy than God's way. I believe that this moment is worth it more than doing it the way God has commanded, than purity. Jesus says that, that the pure in heart will see God. You're saying that I would rather see this naked person on the computer screen than see God. You're believing in a promise that it would be more joyful and fulfilling to see this person than it would to see the face of God. It's about belief in promises. It's not about self-control. It's not about internet filters, although those things are great. It's about belief. It's about a lack of belief in what God would have for you. And we have so accepted porn use by talking about it in the terms that we talk about it in. We can't do that anymore. Like God so hates it that he would allow a spouse to leave another spouse over it. Like, do you understand that? Like, like if, if you're in here today and you're this, 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 this person who's stuck in this chronic porn use, God says, I hate that more than I hate divorce. I would allow your spouse to leave you because this so ruins the covenant that I had in mind for you. And that's serious. That's something we ought to take seriously in our lives as men and as women of God. I want us to see these lies for what they are. That these lies are born, and I, I want to be kind for a moment to the people who, the churches who have allowed these lies to come about. These lies were born out of a desire to protect marriage. An institution that God has given and created. It's a good, great, incredible institution. But the problem is that these lies have diminished the very thing it seeks to protect. Biblical divorce protects marriage by allowing the innocent party to, to leave a relationship that has been broken. And as a church, by backing biblical divorce, we protect women and men whom God loves, showing them Christ's love when their spouse has not. This protects marriage by refusing to allow sinners to abuse the institution with impunity. 
We can't do that any longer. Because here's the thing, here's the problem why I think a lot of men are stuck in sexual morality. Because they believe nothing bad's gonna happen. They believe that if they get caught, their wife has to stay with them because they're Christians in a marriage and divorce isn't an option. So I'll be okay. I know there's no consequences, so I will continue doing what I'm doing and I'll, I'll, I'll think about, I'll worry about another day, maybe 10 years from now, maybe if my wife would just be more loving and she'd speak my love language more, I wouldn't have to do this, but right now, this brings me more joy than my marriage does. And we can't let that continue. And so, as a church, I want to publicly state that it's sexual sin and abuse, not wounded spouses that end marriages. It's, it's sexual sin and abuse that ends marriages. We hold the marriage bed in the highest honor that protects it by creating a holy fear of violating it. And that's what I want today. Is one of the things I want is I, want, is I want a holy fear to be taken over the hearts of men and women who haven't been holding the marriage bed in that high of an honor. I want you to understand how God views marriage, how important marriage is to him, that he'd be willing to release his children from it because of how you dishonor it. Just let the weight of that sink in for a moment. He says, I hate divorce, but I will let your spouse leave you because of what you're doing, because I hate more what you're doing to them. Like, that's serious. And we should take it seriously. And last, I just want to say to those who have been divorced and remarried, if it wasn't for one of these two, two reasons, I just want to say that there's grace, that God loves you, and he cares for you. And today you're in a covenant with someone, regardless of how that covenant came about, regardless of whether or not God's word would have permit, uh, made permissible that covenant, you're in it. And you should keep the promises you've made today. You should keep the covenant you've made today. You should honor the covenant from this point forward. Because the reality is, the reality why this is so important it's because marriage was meant to be a picture of Christ's relationship with his church. Amen. It's meant to be a picture of Christ's relationship in his church. It's a picture of the gospel. And when that picture is mocked and belittled, God is not mocked. He will not be mocked. It's a serious thing. The picture of marriage is a man laying down his life for the growth and maturity of his wife. Like as men of God, our, our wives should look like well-watered vines. They shouldn't be abused. They shouldn't be um, emotionally abused, physically abused. They shouldn't, there should be no sexual morality. But even more than that, we shouldn't care so much about what we want, but what they want. We should be 
deeply in tune with the gifts of our wives, and we should be creating opportunities for our wife to exercise and grow and mature in those giftings. Whatever, the, whatever those are. Um, sometimes that changes what your wife's into and what they want to be and do. I think art uh, is a part of God's gift. And about a year ago, my wife was really in, wanted to get into pottery. I wanted to express her faith and her love of the creator um, through creating pottery. And so uh, I wanted to get her into pottery. I wanted her to grow in that and see if that's a place where she'd be gifted. And so searched over and over again for, for pottery classes in Mitchell County. Uh, we happened to have Pinland School of Arts, which is awesome, but super expensive. So we didn't go there. Uh, and so we went to Mayland. Um, and through Mayland, she found a, uh, a class in Bakersville that was through Mayland, and it was, it was reasonable for us. Um, so she made pottery, and she made some plates, some things that we as a church actually use uh, when we have family dinners and, service and uh, dinners together. And she's really great at it. That was, that was, I'm not here to boast about me, but that was a sacrifice. It cost us money. It cost me finding how to watch the kids by myself, which is, I don't know how she stays at home every day with the kids. It is insane. Like me with two kids, I'm just trying not to let one of them kill the other. That's, that's my whole goal. I don't care about how the house, I should care, but I don't care about how the house looks. I don't care how much TV they have to watch or how, many, how much goldfish they have to eat. Like I just want them to be alive when mommy comes home. That's my goal. I want to get better at it, but it is just so hard, especially during winter. Like, I love the mountains, but the fact that we just can't go outside that easily in the winter makes this so hard, makes, makes single, uh, or parenting, by, or not parenting by yourself, but watching the kids by yourself incredibly difficult. Um, do what? For dads, right? For, yeah, dads. Mom have a gift, and moms have a gift, but it's hard for them. And that's the thing, is, 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 this is totally not anything I was talking about today, but for some reason, we have made... Uh, stay-at-home mom's not a job, and that is wrong. Like, because he, here's the conversation, hey, what do you do? Oh, I don't do anything. I stay home with the kids. That is something, and it's way more than what I do. Like, I would much rather go to work every day, take a shower, put the tie on, get dressed, and go to work every day, and stay home with the kids. Not because I don't love my kids, but because it's less stressful at work. It's less stressful dealing with clients and accounts and managing these things, and like, it's just so much less stressful. But dads, here's the thing, is if, you're, if, you're, if your mama stays home and she's with the, with the kids, um, your job doesn't end when you come home. Second shift begins, and you get down on the floor and you play with your kids and you give mama a break. You let her do her thing. You let her get her glass of water or whatever um, she's allowed to drink in your household, I guess, depending on what denomination you're from. Um, and get a bath, do whatever she needs to do to relax. You put the kids to bed. You have, that, that's a, putting the kids to bed is a special time as a father. You, you lay in that bed. You, I can't lay in the crib yet. Um, well, I still, I'll never be able to, but uh, I lay in the, you, you lay in the bed or you hover over the crib and you read a story and you pray for your kids' souls. It's a special time. It takes work and it's hard work, but men should go to bed tired. Like, listen to me, men. If you're not going to bed tired, something's wrong. Nothing is more dangerous than a bored man. Nothing. It's when men are bored, they get themselves into trouble. Like, I'm willing to bet, for those of you who struggle with pornography, the, 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 the way you struggle with pornography is you're home alone and there's nothing else for you, there's nothing else for you to do you're bored and you're like, your mind's running through things. You're thinking like, well, I could do that. 
Bored men are dangerous men. Work hard. Go to bed tired. God will give you strength for the next day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about next week. God will give you strength the next day. The Bible says his mercies are new each morning. All right. Let me get back to the notes, try and finish this thing. Um, here's the reason why marriages fail, though. We, I want to be clear. The Grove is about reconciliation. The Grove is about, I believe God gets a lot of glory out of mending marriages. And so I'm about that. There are steps we'll go through together as a church if, if marriages are um, heading towards divorce. Um, we're not going to stop someone from seeking a legitimate divorce. We're not going to say they shouldn't. Um, but we're going to encourage uh, the offender to repent, uh, and we're going to encourage the innocent party to uh, pray about it and think about uh, what their next steps would be. But we'll work together through counseling um, and things to, to, to reconcile first and then, and then move towards legitimate divorce if necessary um, because we want to love and hold the value of marriage up high. But here's the reason why marriages crumble. And it's not because, just because of sexual morality. It's not just because of abuse. It's because of idol worship. And here's the thing. Sexual morality is built out of idol worship. And here, here's, here's where it is most of the time. You're putting your spouse on a pedestal and an idol they were never meant to be on. You're looking for fulfillment from them. And because you're not getting it, you're seeking it elsewhere. And most of the time you're seeking it in something that's sexual, sexually impure. You're seeking it somewhere else. And so that's this idol worship of like, I need to be affirmed by my wife or, or husband. I need to feel good. Like I want them to do all these things and do all these things. I'm not getting it, so now I'm seeking it elsewhere. The reality is if your wife did all those things, you'd want something different anyway. Like you will never be satisfied with, with your spouse. Jerry Maguire was wrong when he said, you complete me. That's not how marriage works. It's not even close to how marriage works. When it comes to abuse, it's the same thing. It's this, I need to get these things from the God that I've made out of my spouse. When I'm not getting them, I get angry. I get abusive. It all comes down to idol worship. And, and spouses make crummy gods. They're just horrible at it. They weren't created to be a god. God created Eve to be a helpmate, not a god. We put, and here's, and here's the other thing that happens that makes it even worse. Like it's this spiral downwards when we do this because when we make our spouse our God, we put an unbelievable amount of pressure on them that they have to fulfill, they have to do these things. And when they don't do those things, we lash out and get mad and we get frustrated with them and they feel that frustration and they react instead of respond to that. And it just keeps going down. Now you're getting less of what you wanted to begin with and it just keeps going down until you realize the amount of pressure you're putting on your spouse by making them your God and looking for them for fulfillment until you realize that's the source of your sin. You can't see that Christ is here to say, I affirm you. I see you as perfect because of my shed blood on the cross, because of my righteousness that I've given you. Like all the things you're looking for from your spouse, sexual things included are fulfilled in God. Like you will get all the fulfillment you need from God. You don't need it from your spouse. You don't need it from work. You don't need it from anything else. You'll get it from God. Marriage is a picture of God's covenant with his church. 
But the last thing I want to say, and then I promise you I'll close, is that marriage also isn't necessary for joy. We have made marriage into its own idol as the church. And we tell singles that they will just be happy when they get married. If they just find the right guy, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be great. They just need to find a spouse. Like I got, I hear this a lot. It's, they just need to find a husband. They just need to find a wife. The only problem with that is if Jesus is our example, and Jesus never married, I don't care what Tom Hanks says, Jesus never married, then we can't think for a moment that marriage is necessary to, for, for the fullness of joy that God would have for us. We just, we just can't. We can't think that for a moment. If Jesus was never married, then marriage is not necessary for our joy, our fulfillment in Christ. And, and, and while I love marriage, and I think those who have a desire for marriage should pursue it, we should pursue it knowing that it's not necessary for our joy or our fulfillment in Christ. But it is good. It is a good, right thing that God created. So let your marriage show to the world how patient Christ is, how loving Christ is, and how much he pursues his bride. My prayer is that your marriage would show the world the hope and the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that there is forgiveness this morning at the foot of the cross for those who have mocked marriage and mocked their marriage bed and need repentance and forgiveness. So as we sing a couple songs, my prayer is that you would just come to him for forgiveness, for love. Come to him, ask him to strengthen your marriage, strengthen your heart and your control. He will wrap his arms around you and tell you welcome home. We'll end a, with a couple songs um, and then I'll pray. Let's pray. Father, I just, uh, just come before you, Lord, just thankful for your word, God, that as we go through it, we can't avoid uncomfortable, um, controversial topics, Lord, uh, but that you uh, are faithful and you speak into our lives. And you show us the way to joy. You show us the way to fulfillment, God. And I pray, Lord, that we listen even when it's hard. We listen when it doesn't seem true. We would believe upon the promises, your promises, God. And we would, we would choose those promises and we'd see them as bigger and better than the promises of this world and the promises of sin. I pray for the men here today, Lord, that you would just continue to develop in their heart uh, a servant leadership, God, that, that models your son Christ, Lord, that, that, show, that serves everyone, that serves their spouse, their children, Lord, and they would go to bed tired and never be bored, Lord. They would work hard each day, knowing that the calling on their life is to lay their life down, not make much of their own life, God. Father, we love you and we're thankful for your son and everything that you've done for us. I pray that we at The Grove would take marriage seriously and that it would be a picture to the world about how much you love your church, that you would lay your life down, your son's life for us. I love you, God. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.